Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Kai Hurstead Carney, it's lovely to be with you again today. Can I just ask, vocal technique... What is that to you? <laughs> so technique obviously could be bad technique or good technique. Um, so I would say good vocal technique is the ability to create the notes that you hear in your heart and in your head and this demanding of you for the material that you're trying to do with the ease and efficiency that requires. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Then when it comes to style, what is that defined as for you? So style would be the artistic lens of which we might deliver the song, you know, depending on the genre. It can be pop tricks. It can be understanding of the, the timbre that is appropriate for a certain style. And yeah, the delivery from an artistic point of view. Mm. And if technique and style were to walk down the aisle and bid their vows to each other, what sort of marriage do you think that they would have ongoing? What's their interplay? Can we say bid their vows to each other? Sorry, that's oh my idea. gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I missed a trick there, didn't I? <laughs> um, well, I can certainly say that some singers have a more toxic relationship. But, um, you know, there are many where our role as singing teachers would be to help balance out so they can afford some <laughs> infidelities. And um, we're going to continue that metaphor. Uh, whilst, uh, you know, if if you do have a good relationship between style and technique, then it's got to do with finding ways to create that doesn't compromise on the sound we want and the health. What are some obstacles that you find singers tend to be up against more often than others when they are working on technique but also have a style to maintain? Well, some things can actually be unhelpful. Like if you do want to do a lot of like flipping, for example, uh, but you also want to have a strong mix, then that, you know, is, is an, an opposite functionality. So that could be really challenging. It's absolutely poss- possible, but you, it, just as with like crossover singing, you need more skills and more coordinations and um, the knowledge and the skill sets to move around things. When we're talking technique, whether that's a foundational technique, a functional technique, do you think it's important for all singers, regardless of style, to be able to find adducted, abducted chest, adducted, abducted falsetto, be able to mix, be able to belt, be able to transition, or do some singers just not need some of that? Well, need is is relative, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) You know, you're likely to have more stamina and longevity if you are able to do uh, a variety of pitches and a variety of coordination especially in regards to like kind of finding the middle ground and balance um, and a smooth transition it's likely for your voice to be in a a better state health-wise you know there are some singers who don't sing super challenging stuff do they actually need to be able to you know find the the higher part of their voice because their need is relative. I remember speaking with Mark Delissa last year on the topic of how to sing and teach gospel. And he was very clear in the fact that technique is is second to the emotional release of the style. So as singing teachers and voice coaches, 
how can we identify when something is a technical issue that we might want to put the focus on for a while compared to a stylistic choice? I talk a lot about my magical triangle, uh, which is essentially in one corner is the preparedness of the song, the knowledge, the lyric, the melody, the rhythm, the genre, and that kind of knowledge uh, and of the song. And then this other corner, you've got your singing technique, vocal and physical health. Um, you know, have you slept? All these kind of uh, physical and coordination issues. And then finally, the last corner is authenticity, storytelling, acting journey, if it's that kind of material, um, and, and the conviction to the material. And if you don't have all three, some of the magic falls out. In one lesson, we might not visit it all three corners but when we get to performance that's kind of where we want to be where all of this is present mm. Does that makes sense yeah definitely yeah thinking of that then the magic triangle as you just described there how can we best communicate to the singer when a stylistic choice is pushing out some of the magic from the technical foundation without insulting them but also helping them to become aware of it? I think sometimes just actually pointing out, you know, they might not be aware that they are using it or they might be very aware and you can say, well, you know, do you have to use this on every phrase? Could we actually try? I sometimes describe it as glitter. You know, if you put glitter on everything, then it's only going to appeal to people who really like glitter. But a little bit in the corner of your eye is probably not going to offend anyone. Mm. <laughs> you know, it, it is that kind of, if you do the really like a fry onset, for instance, can really great people who don't like a fry onset. Mm. A little bit here and there can be really, you know, stylish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Equally then, as teachers, how can we help a singer to work on that technical corner of that magic triangle without sacrificing the style that makes them them and, and their identity as a singer? So I would say it would be rebalancing the voice during a, a warm-up, during, you know, a kind of exercise routine where they get functionality and they're working. And, and we're kind of thinking of it like plies, not ballet dancing, right? It, it's the bit that you don't necessarily do while you do the performance, but it will make your body more prepared and more have more stamina to be able to cope with those things. Mm, yeah, Considering styles like classical or heavy metal, what do you think of the opinion that singing shouldn't be wildly different from the way we speak? Yeah, it's the speech quality kind of argument. The, uh, you know, I think, for instance, in musical theatre, I think that can give you a real authenticity to starting your speaking voice. If it's not, you know, golden age where you might be expecting a certain sound if you're, you know, the romantic leads. Uh, whilst if you're storytelling, you sing a songwriter, you know, it does give an authenticity to the performance, the fact that it sounds a bit like you're speaking to me. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you have to? No, of course not. You know, does Cher sound like that when she speaks? No, she doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like examples can be many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then equally, if you had Cher in your... Uh, studio and you try to make her sound more balanced and it, you know you'd mess up her career so i've been thinking about your delicious style menu that you have on your website it's very lovely and very helpful actually as a singing teacher to kind of reference 
can you give us some idea of what we could add to a song to make it sound more stylistically exciting? What I do with the style menu is, is essentially the left-hand side is generally functional. Uh, it's got to do with you know vocal, vocal compression, lyrics position, and um, various things like airflow. But you could use those things as stylistic uh, tools as well. You know, a more breathy onset versus a, a glottal onset can definitely affect the style. And then you have things like scoops and trills and melismas and um, various things, you know, a little bit of distortion or growl. Um, yeah, you could use it like a menu where you pick a bit here and pick a bit there. Mm. Vowel placements obviously got a massive uh, impact on timbre and tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm guessing some of those stylistic pepperings, if you like, aren't going to be as easy if some singers don't have certain technical bits in place. So a fry on set, we need to be able to find fry. And if we've got a high tension in the vocal folds, if we do a lot of high, loud singing, that might be quite difficult to find. So I guess they're not wildly apart. They don't have to be two separate things. But actually, as you said, you can use the compression levels as both functionality and style. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the, like, say, vibrato, if listen to indie music, especially like male vocals, indie music, it's hardly ever any vibrato on. Mm. And then, you know, in jazz, you might find it either throughout or, you know, towards the end of the phrases. And, and like every genre has a, some things that are almost expected. And then somebody comes along and does something that is genre defining, uh, sorry, defying somebody comes along and, and do something that is genre defying and we're all like oh that's exciting why is that exciting and it becomes you know pop now is so versatile oh, oh. announcement listeners if you've been thinking about joining the bast community by taking one of our courses but you just don't know which is the best option for you then why not book a free call with our very own Kimberly George, who has all the answers? Head over to basttraining.com forward slash book a call forward slash and click that big blue button to request your free Zoom chat. That's basttraining.com forward slash book a call forward slash and you can find that link in our show notes too. Now, where were we? Oh, oh. I've got a couple of case studies here, and this isn't to be judgmental of the singer, but it's just to have something to analyse and reference. Mm -hmm. So imagine that you open your studio door and you welcome in George Ezra. Mm -hmm. Now, George Ezra has quite a distinctive voice, like Cher. He tends to sing what is perceptually a low larynx position. Mm -hmm. Speaking technically, what is a lower larynx position offering? George Ezra. Well, the biggest bass boosts lower frequencies. <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you naturally will get a lower uh, boost. The, the timbre, your voice sounds lower. Um, I can't do a George Ezra um, impression. I thought you did quite well. <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, too much we uh, brought up for him. But, yeah, the, they will offer that. But then he doesn't do the kind of lifted soft palate and rounded vowels that would make it more of a classical sound that's mm-hmm. why it's it's kind of coming across still as a poppy sound mm-hmm. yeah yeah and he actually mentioned in an interview with gq magazine in 2019 uh, and this is just a quote from him saying that there was a 
blonde-haired singer-songwriter on every street corner, I asked myself, what are you going to do that's different? So I used to tune my guitar down so that it was lower, and I tried to sing with the biggest voice that I could, which makes sense if, mm. if, the, if the lower larynx is going to create a bigger space and boost those lower frequencies, yeah, then so he he's achieved it. I was going to say, yeah, he probably didn't know he was doing form and tuning or... No. <laughs> but he was. Yeah. And so in that sense then, say George Ezra wanted to... I mean, he does flip up in, in songs like Budapest. Um, but if he wanted to, to take some of his songs higher, would that have to change? It might give you some trouble if he wants to maintain that low. Um, but, you know, there's other way of... of elongating or, or increasing the space in a vocal tract, like for instance through, you know, uh, rounded vowels in the in the mouth or, mm. or you know, opening up in a different way. So I, I kind of like the whole idea of under vowel, over vowel and, you know, Ken Bozeman and Ian Howell's work on, on these kind of where, yeah, you can create excitement or dullness depending on, and again, this is not a judgmental way, but like you know, do you want it to be more edgy? Do you want it to be more muted? Mm. It's artistic, isn't it? It's more, just more colours to paint with. Mm. You can see a singer like Billie Eilish who's like properly changed through the years. And um, I don't know if you've seen uh, her brother talk about the production. I haven't, no. But like they add a whisper track on many of the songs. Mm. And then you have uh, your singers come into the studio trying to sing very breathy, but actually Billie Eilish isn't singing super breathy. She's mm. whispering on top of it to add that kind of breath sound. Right. And when you hear it live and like festivals, there's actually a fair bit of compression there. Mm. Okay, so what does that then mean for our singers who are hearing this effect on the radio and wanting to emulate it and they're perceiving it as breathy? But we don't we don't always get that research element when we're, you know, enjoying a, a car concert and, <laughs> yeah. and we're just being aspirate the whole time. Totally. And I think the most important thing for all of us to like remind our singers is, you know, for instance, Kelly Clarkson, the six Kelly Clarkson on uh, Because of You is doubled, right? It's it, it, it multi-tracked mm. and we're hearing this really big solid fat voice you know that got, got her into trouble when she was touring it and she's quite open about that and it is because it you cannot do what you do in the studio live uh, because you have the access to all of these effects um, actually <laughs> you can more and more now because you can have your own vocal effect units and and, mm. and you know put some of these things like even distortion and um you know certain but just that what you hear on a release is not the the natural you know there's loads of talk about this on tiktok and instagram yeah. of singers like faking it it's like no they're not faking it they are doing post-production mm. i do tend to encourage singers to listen to the live versions to get a truer sense of what is being asked of the singer in in those environments but also a truer sense of the actual song um because, yeah, we do forget that we are listening to a different type of art when we are hearing it on Spotify or whatever. Totally. Um, and even the live one, you know, on the big productions, you might still have these effect units and you might have live compression where 
the quieter. So they can sing super quiet because the compression, you know, for those who are not familiar with production techniques, compression mm -hmm. basically lifts the quiet and take down the loud. So with somebody like Billie Eilish singing something with really low um, vocal fold compression in certain areas, because she does, she isn't whispering, but she is singing, you know, sometimes with really low uh, compression or weak compression. Um, the compressor would then lift her lowest volume up so that that can still be heard on the festival stage. Mm. So in, in that sense as well, then, um, with what Billy is doing, we could maybe not have to sacrifice the technical side of things because we have tools, technological tools to enhance the, the thing that we're trying to be identified as or to show up as in, in the music industry. Right. Yeah. And, hmm. and if that is something that's super important for you, then actually getting into uh, production skills and understanding how you can create some of those sounds in a way that isn't compromising on your vocal health could be really useful. Yeah. What other advice would you give to singers who are wanting to sound different? And as we mentioned with um, Vocalize You, Big Billy Clark and Elliot O'Connor recently, how do you help them become that flamingo in a flock of pigeons without <laughs> contorting their voice in a way that physiologically doesn't marry, but mm. which also helps them to be aesthetically different yeah well one of the things is that there is no other you mm. right and if you just look at you know look at your face versus the person that you might be covering face there's going to be different cavities because of the way we are differently shaped you know mm. um if we are doing the same thing even just listen to our fundamental frequency when we're talking as in like the pitch that we are carrying during our conversation you could imagine that my voice is slightly lower than your voice, although we both have quite bright voices. Mm. You know, that's even before we've started to think about accents and, you know, me being a Scouswegian and, um, uh, and all these kind of languages and the way we shape our, and who we listen to, you know? Mm. It's part of the sympathetic nervous system as well, though, you know, how if you've hung around with a friend for a long time, you start picking up mannerisms and, and things that they say. We do that with, with artists we listen to, even even if we are professional and and don't try and sound like them, we are going to, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. <laughs> Imitation is, is just so innate in our person. Yeah. To be honest, Kai, I only have to turn my face one way and I look like a completely different person. I have such a non-symmetrical face. <laughs> <laughs> Every picture that you see of me is always of my left side and never of the right because <laughs> they look completely different. <laughs> But, but, you know, it's a good, but there's things that I can do, you know, that I, I can adjust certain things to make me sound different. Mm. And that would be, you know, nurture, you know, depending on how I speak and, 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 and I can sound really different. Yeah. Those of you are listening, like on, without looking at me, you might go, okay, it's just a still person. I'm actually actually being, you know, possessed, but I haven't. I'm just using various uh, 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 concepts within my vocal track to speak differently. Mm, right. Yeah. So that is experimentation, um, learning about isolating the various movable parts in the vocal tract. So your larynx, your pharynx, your soft palate, your your jaw, your lips, your tongue. All of those things will have massive output on the timbre that we mm. do. And we haven't even started about musicianship and like you know phrasing and um, are you going to come in slightly before the the beat or slightly after? 
uh, riffs and runs and, and mm. like, you know, changing the melody around and mm. changing the key. Time scene, there's so much musicianship artistry as well and so many tools. And, you know, this is why I love um, working with singing teaching as artist development because mm. helping somebody find their voice, not just physically but also metaphorically of like mm. are you saying what you want to say are you saying it in the way you want to say it? are you connecting with the people that you want to connect with and that's why i always try and instill in like um my water best students uh, we're like well you are you you can never be another billy Eilish or george Estra or whatever insert whichever artist here but you can be the best version uh, version of you that you can be mm. yeah what happens then for you when when an artist is creating their work goes into the studio and then is performing in different venues how does style and technique get influenced by the environment that we're in and the audience that we're performing to oh i think definitely everything influences everything right Uh, that's a very big question um you know I think being able to adjust to an environment, whether that is, it's a more intimate environment, so you might need to do a more intimate performance and, and connect in a different way. But then some artists will do a super aloof, just be in their own world and, you know, kind of fourth wall entirely up, you know, all the time. Mm. And that is right for those artists. Yeah. Uh, big stages, you know, again, we can talk about things like, um, do you need in-ears so that you can have control about what you hear, um, understanding what to ask for in the monitor? There is a different skill set than what you would get if you are doing recitals in a mm. hall with great acoustic. Mm. And I guess the role of technique there is to have something reliably in the body so that you can be at will to add stylistic qualities whether they're choreographed or whether they just come in the emotive moment rather than having to worry about oh crap that bit's coming up and i need to support here be in in this register use this vowel so automation of technique you know getting your muscle memory the myelination of those like every time because we can't really you know we can't bulk up our our vocal muscles Mm. but what we can do is increase the um the uh, coordination and, and like the, the neural synapses firing off quicker and more accurately the more you do it correctly mm-hmm. um, and that's you know then you have you can rely on your technique then and you know if you are feeling a bit puffy or a bit tired and like you ate <laughs> fried chicken and had a glass of wine and you're feeling refluxy and you know your technique is still there to be relied on yeah. uh, re- relied upon um, and, you know, if we are talking in the pop rock world, there's so much there mentioning reflex that, you know, there's going to bed late, often eating after gigs, um, often free alcohol, let's face mm. it, um, maybe early interviews in the morning the next day. So you might be sleeping in a tour bus with loads of snoring men. Um, mm. <laughs> sorry, no judgment. Uh, you know, there's loads of things that can be real challenging and eating on the go um riders you know all that kind of stuff and having awareness of all the demands of your voice mm. not just in a singing technique way but in a holistic way becomes much more integral for those 
touring musicians. Yeah. Musical th- theatre too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, touring touring there, finding your digs and, mm-hmm. and not maybe having the budget to be in something that is, you know, not that a tour bus is posh, but... You know, one thing that I think would be really bothersome for me if I was a, a touring artist is the is the snoring with other people around. I can't deal with snoring. It's it's the what one of the noises that I just can't cope with. But I'm really I'm not very uh, direct with it. My, my husband doesn't snore, but if he's making a noise that is just grating when we're asleep, I will bounce the mattress. <laughs> and then he'll go, oh, are you OK? And I'll be like, oh, yes, just turning over. When really I was bouncing to try and wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we've all done a little elbow in the side yeah. and stuff. Um, I mean, my, my saviour there is um, uh, I've got a headband headphones with noise cancelling. Oh, oh nice. That's a Christmas present wish. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's what I'll need to get so I don't have to bounce bounce the mattress and be passive-aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you're right, and, and especially early career, this is where many people give up because it's also where you get... You're next to no money, um, and you have to give up your day job because you're busy touring, and um, and you get minimal per diem um, uh, budget to go mm-hmm. and you know yeah it's definitely it's taken yeah. us a little bit a bit of a, of a diversion but I do think you know for any of you working with people who are on that kind of cusp of becoming professional or early professional stages where they might still be working. You know, through the week in the day job, and then spending the weekend mm. sleeping in a van or or a sofa hopping, and you know, what's that going to do to your to your neck if mm. you are constantly sleeping in different? You know, there, there, it's so much yeah. that we sometimes might forget to ask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've mentioned Billie Eilish already, but imagine there is an artist who really identifies with that more aspirate sound how would you go about helping them to maintain a healthy rounded balanced voice uh because as we can as we can imagine and we know that being breathy a lot can be quite drying vocally Mm -hmm. so what would your approach be there in the studio with with a Billie Eilish type singer so I would go back to the kind of this is a plie this isn't dancing we are we are conditioning your uh, vocal instruments so that you are able. Or another anatomy, yeah, anatomy. Another analogy. Um, this is the songwriter always speaking analogy. Um, is the more you exercise, the more you can get away with eating ice cream. Mm-hmm. You know, as part of a balanced diet. <laughs> 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 because you know, you it it is a balance, and a voice has a. It's almost like a currency. How much have you spent? How much mm. do you have left? And and by doing those balancing exercises regularly, your SLVTs and your, you know, uh, whichever one's appropriate to that particular singer. I've unfortunately never worked with uh, Billie Eilish, but <laughs> but say that she might benefit for something that is is gentle compression exercises and and working in the, in the kind of balanced mix mm. after she's had uh, a studio session where she's been super breathy. Mm. or after she's been doing a gig to warm down, you know, potentially have some uh, scheduling in some conditioning days where this is where you were, you know, in rehearsal. Do you need to do it full-on style here or can you do some kind of marking? Mm. Although the problem with the marking 
Um, mm. Do you know what I mean by that? Like this kind of yeah, not, big, not quite. Yeah, yeah. The problem with that is that's why you're automating. So if you do it too much, then that takes away from your myelination and, and like getting yeah. those neural circuits firing off. Yeah how you want them to live and you, it might make you less likely to be able to rely on your technique. So I would actually rather recommend, you know, stepping down the amount of hours that you rehearse, but do it accurately. Mm. And would you then as with, but with part of that conditioning work, is that finding adduction, finding a, a, a stronger compression so that breathiness just doesn't become the only thing that you can do? Yeah, or, you know, is that the breathiness, is that exactly what you need for what you're trying to achieve artistically? And sometimes mm. that can be finding an artistic choice that is medium vocal fold compression, but it still has that softness to it, but it's mm. balanced rather than completely airy. Yeah. If somebody was struggling with that, that's what they were aiming for, to not have just breath, but have, have a bit more closure, but quietly. What do they need to work on? technically to get that well that's a very that's a very good question isn't it <laughs> so yeah you would you would work on uh finding a middle ground um a method of and things like that could be mm -hmm. um could be very useful yeah yeah so um yeah i think that's definitely something i'd i'd look at for you know, any dynamic exercises. If those of you not familiar with method of what would be to go from quietest to loud, and then mm -hmm. so crescendo, decrescendo, if you want, um, because you do need to have a certain balance between the the muscles and the air, as I might say to a student who aren't a vocal nerd mm. yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 that can can be a great exercise because you are then showing dynamic variety and that is a, one of our good signs for uh, vocal function mm, yeah and I guess with Billy she she doesn't present herself as like somebody who wants to belt all of the time uh, she she shows us a bit here and there I don't I must admit I don't listen to Billie Eilish's music a lot but from what I I hear she she's shown us that it's a possibility in songs like No Time to Die uh, but I guess with with her softer approach at things that's not going to assist a belt like a breathy tone is going to swallow some of that resonance i can imagine yeah um, um, a more compressed vocal fold up to a certain degree will create um more resonance in the upper harmonics more mm -hmm. uh, um, access to resonance in the upper harmonics yeah so you know that that makes total sense but I did see an interview with her, and since I'm not a specialist on Billie Eilish, but uh, I did see an interview with her who said, you know, when she released her first album, she was like 15 or 16 when mm -hmm. it recorded, and she did have that glottal chink that, that many teenage girls had, and she said, like, by the time I was recording my second album, and she was like 18, 19, she had access to a lower range, she had access to volume, she had mm -hmm. access to a whole different voice. I'm paraphrasing, but something along those lines. And I just thought, yeah, you know, <laughs> I hear so many vocal codes like bl blaming Billie Eilish for all the airy singers. And it's like, yeah, but we're talking about a kid who yeah. released an album. Um, and then you have the whole kind of whispery um, or oral e excitement um, that they add um, yeah. on top, you know, adding those mm -hmm. higher frequencies. Then 
Yeah, I think we have loads more to see from her voice because some mm. of the stuff that she can do. And there must be some balance there because there's riffs, right? There's, there's fast movement, mm. agility between the upper and the lower range. Yeah. You can't do that if you are totally airy falsetto or whatever you want to call that no. quality. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it, how we, because we, we aren't judging these voices here, but as, as armchair critics, sometimes we can sit back and say, oh, they're a bit airy or or whatever, it, whatever comes out when we're on the radio, uh, listening to the radio. But just because that's how they're presenting in that song doesn't actually mean that that's the limitation of their technique or ability. It's just what they have chosen to share for a particular reason at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, imagine if any of us, imagine somebody listening back to, to this or any other professional practice that you've done this week and just like tell you everything that they would have done differently all the time. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> you know, sometimes they we didn't sit down and go, then you're going to say this, then you're going to say that. and um, But it's going to be there forever because of recording and and. You know, that happens when you're in the studio as well. You, yeah. you put something down that was how you felt and how you chose to tackle that specific task in that moment. Mm. And then it becomes part of your forever professional practice. Yeah. And aren't That's we always... Going. Yeah, I know, right? I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> uh, we're always encouraging our singers to embrace your voice as as it is you know your individuality and really maybe that's what billy was doing at that age as you say we, we can expect breathiness to to be a symptom of the female voice change so yeah why don't we embrace the fact that there's going to be an aspirate quality if we're if we're singing in a style that it's appropriate in right great let's embrace it Mm. Instead of trying to close it, I mean, okay, yes, there is the argument to get a a, a more clean sound, but if that's uh, if that's what your voice presenting as and it's it's healthy, then why not? Yeah, and somebody like like you know a superstar like that probably does go regularly and get scoped, and you know yeah. if there is anything to worry about, not everybody has the privilege to do that. But yeah, yeah I think if we can do functional exercises and. and you know, race awareness, it's, uh, yeah, probably going to help the artist as much as we can. And mm. we're not there to make them worry about their voice as well. I, I think, in my experience, the majority of people who've ended up with things like muscle tension, dysphonia, and, and stuff like that, it's it's the worrying about what's wrong that's mm. taking a bigger toll on technique than actually the pathology. Not yeah. most, but yeah, many were there's a psychological factor to having a healthy voice as well and constantly worrying that you're gonna you know lose your voice or everything is there's people yeah. who are out there singing and communicating like you were talking about your gospel singers earlier mm. um you know other ones <laughs> there are other things that are much more unhealthy than a little growl here and there um so what we can do is 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 advise our singers what you know i like the 80 20 rule of if we could stay 80 percent within healthy and then 20 percent mm. you know um allow for some other things but it's all natural isn't it but if you see a spider and you scream and it was an instinctive thing that happened so like mm. if you end up with a growl because of the emotion that you put behind it yeah that it's unlikely to instantly give you vocal issues because it's part of our human 
condition. Mm, mm. But if we do it all the time and it isn't done in the most efficient, natural way, then it's bound to give us some trouble. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hit stratospheric notes when there's a spider as well. So maybe that's what I need to be exposed to more spiders when I'm practicing my legit. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the coping mechanism. So like instead of having a little jar of feelings or, uh, or terabands or whatever other tools you use in the studio, you could have a little jar of spiders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're up there. I love it. Oh, oh. Dear listeners, we are so grateful that you tune in each week to geek out with us. It's our mission here at the Singing Teachers Talk podcast to invite you into informed discussions across a variety of topics to inspire your own teaching and to support your career in voice. Now I've got a big favour to ask of you, pretty, pretty please, with a cherry on top. Can we steal a bit of your time in asking for a review, which will not only help us to improve the platform, but will also help spread the word to others who are looking for a community like the one you've helped us build here. You can leave your review over at Apple Podcasts, by leaving a comment beneath your favourite episode on our YouTube channel, or by emailing me directly with your testimonial at alexa at basstraining.com. If you've been enjoying this podcast, we'd love to hear about it. And thank you for all your support, Bass Brigade. Bastions? The Talkers. Yeah, I'll work on the name. Imagine that you are about to close your studio for the day. You have one final singer and in walks either Christina Aguilera or Shakira. It's been a very good day for you, Kaya. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'd love, I'd I hope love I to get payment for the, all these yeah. uh, stars coming to my studio today. <laughs> I was going to say, I want to know what you're charging. <laughs> if, uh, if you were to imitate either of those singers, Christina Aguilera or Shakira, it's likely that we are going to find our tongues are playing quite a big role to, right. to create that sound. So technically speaking, engaging the tongue root or, or, or backing up the tongue in a particular way, what can that technically offer us? Well, it'll change the size and shape of your vocal tract. So mm-hmm. again, we're talking from an acoustic point of view. Uh, it can also increase or decrease the amount of tension or you know effort that you have to give on an actual vocal fold level mm. but yeah m- more than anything the tongue is just such a massive blob in your mouth yeah uh, in your vocal tract so anything you do with the tongue will have massive um effect on the timbre and tone and and also of course the articulation yeah yeah. yeah. And also the, the I remember Karyoba talking about how we can sometimes utilize the a backed tongue uh, as a way to help thicken up the vocal folds. Right. Because the bottom of the tongue is the top of the larynx, right? The, the mm-hmm. higher bone is in some languages also called the tongue bone. Mm-hmm. So it literally is at the top, you know, whether it's part of the laryngeal structure or just keeping the laryngeal structure up, anything you do with the tongue will well, unless you're super, super, super good at isolating the front tip of your tongue to the back tip of your tongue, mm. it will have an effect on the larynx directly. So, you know, yeah. that is, it's a big part of what we do, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And with, with Christina Aguilera, I mean, no one's going to argue that she's got, you know, an issue because she sounds bloody awesome. I mean, she's <laughs> she's got some pipes, that's for sure. <laughs> But what might that backed up tongue or tongue root engagement hinder for her, potentially? Well, 
she has gotten herself into trouble a few times with it, especially like coupling that up with like the scoops where she goes really kind of TA heavy or like chest mm. heavy, and like, you know, like that kind of. Yeah. Um, and there's been elements where she then might go a little bit flat on the intonation because it's harder to thin out as you go in, yeah. your, in your higher range and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I might ask her to do a raspberry yeah. and see like if she can find a slightly lighter. Uh, but then, I mean, the thing with Christina Aguilera, if you listen like through the, she was definitely very much that when she was young, if you've seen her when she was nine mm. and then that's the Mickey Mouse Club or something. Yeah. Um, and then if you listen through burlesque and Candyman versus, you know, beautiful, she, she just varies her voice a lot. Mm. Um, using you know loads of different voice qualities, loads of this different compression. Mm-hmm. Um, hurt, she's all aspirate and like so she doesn't yeah. just have access to this very compressed tongue back. So yeah. I do think that that shows a singer who's definitely looking to to learn about her voice and explore yeah. her voice. Yeah, and I think I remember watching part of her BBC masterclass as well Um, and her warm-up she has some classical um, approaches on there I believe so that wouldn't necessarily be a a, an achievable thing if her tongue was not responsive right but yeah we know that she uh she has a distinctive sound we we know when we put the radio on it's Christina and we certainly know when it's Shakira so, Kaya, just to round up, what myth would you like to bust about technique versus style? Uh, one of them is that all good technique has to come from classical bass, because it can, but it's also different coordination. So I think exploring the sounds that you want with somebody who can help explore different coordinations without the fear of entering your chest voice, for instance, or I'm, and I'm not saying that all classical teachers say that, but I've had people come and they're like, oh, I can't really sing like that because when I get to the E, I need to change into my head voice or things like that. Mm. So listening to the singer, exploring in a non-judgmental, open way. Is that a, that's not myth yeah. bisting, that's just advice. Uh, yeah, where the myth was that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then another myth is uh, that you have to do so much to find your authentic voice because you are you with the shape and face and the you know the vocal track that you have so by expressing yourself and really connecting to the material and finding the correct material whether it's own written or whether it's mm. covers and and you know repertoire in the musical world uh, you will be authentic if you're trying to convey something not necessarily by trying to sound different mm. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kaya, as ever. Love chatting to you. And uh, I hope you have a brilliant rest of the year. Thank you. And same to you. Thanks a lot for having me. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, And who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.